That's 2 Corinthians 5, starting from verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be fur clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, thank you, Annika, and thank you, Kath, for leading us um, through this evening. And um, please, if you can, keep 2 Corinthians 5 in front of you, and um, whether that's in a Bible or online. Um, there's obviously no handouts, um, but I'm going to flash points up on the screen as we go through to help us follow along. Um, if I've not met you before, my name's Adam. Um, I'm on the staff team at church and I help lead the student team in Chalmers. It's really good to see you all, um, albeit virtually this evening. Um, we might be meeting on Zoom, um, but we can still come to hear the Spirit speak through his words. Um, so let me ask him to help me and all of us. Let's pray. Lord God, as we've been hearing in 2 Corinthians, this ministry belongs to you. The power belongs to you by your spirit. We are powerless to change our hearts. So we ask that you would do that for us this evening as we hear you speak through your words. We thank you for the technology that allows us to hear your voice. But we know it can be harder to listen. And so we pray especially that you would help us do that. Amen. As I said a few moments ago, please keep your Bibles in front of you at 2 Corinthians 5 on a cold, dark November evening and a day when our hopes of being in a new building were disappointed. Well, this evening we've got a precious, hope-filled passage to warm our hearts. I guess we're at that point in the year when many of us are feeling pretty worn out. It's the point of the year when we ask each other how we're doing and the nearly universal answer is tired. Overall energy levels are low, but the next pit stop isn't for another six weeks. For some of us, and maybe this isn't just a point in the year kind of thing, but it's just how we always feel. When I was at uni, our terms were eight weeks long, which saying that now sounds blissful, but I assure you at the time it really did feel longer than that. And our eight-week term gave rise to a phenomenon um, known as the, the week five blues. Week five, the point where the last drop of new term enthusiasm has been spent 
but where the end of term is just too far and off into the distance to be seen. So a student with the week five blues might be found in the library daydreaming about their month-long Christmas holidays, going home to enjoy the pleasures of a free laundry service, central heating, warm meals, walks with the dog, and Christmas with the family. We obviously don't work in eight-week terms, but I guess at this point in the year, we might also be daydreaming about the Christmas holidays. 49 days to go. And apologies if that's too soon or alarming, and um, it certainly was for me. But in the midterm grinds, we might daydream about that day when we'll lounge by the fire, the Call the Midwife Christmas special on in the background, satisfied from a delicious turkey, pigs and blankets dinner, and all the trimmings surrounded by friends and family. So often, especially in challenging times, it's thinking about the future that will help us keep going in the present. Our passage in 2 Corinthians this evening is all about how we keep going. Or to use the language of this passage, it's all about courage. Verse six, I'll read that for us. So we are always of good courage. Or again, verse eight, yes, we are of good courage. Or to put it slightly differently, as we saw last week, chapter four, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. And like looking forward to the Christmas holidays, our courage, the way we don't lose hearts in 2 Corinthians comes from thinking about the future. And I hope we'll see Christians have something to look forward to that is immeasurably better than the Christmas holidays. If you've been with us for the last two weeks in 2 Corinthians, you might already feel in need of a dose of courage. 2 Corinthians is Paul's advertising campaign for authentic gospel ministry as he tries to persuade us that his ministry uh, is the one to get on board with. But Paul ignores the golden rule of advertising. Instead of hiding the undesirable side effects in small print, the hard bits of his ministry are right up front and centre in bold letters. So remember, one of the biggest things Paul has told us about his ministry, about authentic ministry, is that it's hard. It looks weak and it often brings opposition. It's easy to get discouraged. And hopefully we'll see this evening that the 2 Corinthians 5 antidote to discouragement is for us to think about the future unseen realities. Um, we're on Zoom, and I, I think all of us struggle to follow along quite as well as if we were in person. So here's a, a nutshell summary of the big point we're going to see this evening. The key to courage is to think about our unseen future. The key to courage is to think about our unseen future. We need to think about these future unseen things because I guess if we look around in the present day, what we can see now, it's really easy to get discouraged. The gospel is not popular in our world. People assume it's backwards, out of date, no longer relevant to the world we live in. And the world just cannot understand why anyone would spend time investing in it. I remember talking to some friends who trained for ministry on the equivalent of the, uh, the MAP programme that we have here. 
And their families told them that they've been throwing away the opportunities that they've been given in life. And it's not just the full-timers that feel this pressure. I'm sure all of us can think of friends and colleagues who just can't understand why we give up so much time to be here on a Sunday or to be in a small group during the week. And no one is really gonna give you a pat on the back for being here. We think of this new building we hope to go back to next week. When you think about it, why do people in our church family sacrificially give all of that hard-earned money for a building redevelopment so that we can use it to reach out with the good news of Jesus? To the world, that is wasteful. If we look around us now, there are so many reasons for discouragement in ministry, both individually and as a church. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5 is so precious to us. We need to look to the future unseen realities for courage to give us confidence to keep going. To be assured that what we're doing really is worthwhile. So my prayer is by the end of this evening, we'll go away encouraged that we're on the right track in authentic ministry and excited to spend more time thinking about the glorious future that God generously generously promises his people. And better than Christmas, the rest of our time, we're going to see three reasons for courage in authentic ministry, and they'll all pop up on the screen. Um, So let's dive into the first reason. Um, Verses one to five, the body we groan for. We groan for our glorious eternal resurrection bodies. Um, But just as we start, it is worth clarifying, we are actually talking about bodies here. And that's not immediately obvious when you see all the building language in this passage. Verse one, for example, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So there's building language all over. And we might think, ah, John 14, um, Jesus preparing a room for us in his father's house. And this is a new creation accommodation passage. Um, But while the Bible does wonderfully have lots to say about um, where we'll live in eternity, um, there are a few reasons to think that's not what Paul is telling us about here primarily. And instead, his emphasis is on our bodies in the new creation. And there are a few reasons, but I think the clearest is in verse six, um, starting halfway through verse six. We know that while we are at home, in the body, we are away from the Lord's. And so here you see Paul using the building language, home, to talk about our physical bodies. And that's what he's saying throughout the passage. And he's using a building metaphor to talk about the reality of our bodies in this world and in the new creation. Um, And I guess most of us are probably slightly more used to thinking about this kind of physical home and the new creation, the John 14 um, kind of stuff. And but this passage is going to help us think about the perhaps more uh, less familiar idea of our physical um, new creation resurrection bodies. And um, so why does Paul use this metaphor of building then? I take it Paul's using this metaphor of tents and buildings because he wants to compare and contrast how much better our new creation bodies are than our current bodies. Look again at verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
Notice the contrast. Our bodies in this life are tents. The bodies we'll have in the new creation are buildings. Tents are temporary. Our bodies in the new creation will be eternal, as it says at the end of verse one. Tents are fragile. They break, they get damaged. Buildings are strong and robust. In a moment, I'll try and help us appreciate why this promise of eternal resurrection bodies is so precious for us as Christians. But first, notice how radical Paul's statement is in verse one. Even if um, his, his body in this life, even if um, the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, even if it was destroyed, he knew he had a much better body waiting for him in the new creation. And remember the context, Paul facing opposition for his ministry, and um, sometimes violent and life-threatening. And um, what a radical thing for him to say, even if his earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God's. And if this promise of a resurrection body gave Paul courage to put his life on the line for gospel ministry, well, think how deeply he must have believed and clung on to that promise. And we, ET, have a permanent body waiting for us. And for us, it would be a great thing to pray that we would believe that more and that this truth would free us up to serve the gospel more wholeheartedly now in our temporary bodies, even though we don't necessarily face the same kind of opposition as Paul. Let's think, T, about the groaning language Paul uses. And then we'll think after that why this is so precious for us. So the groaning language popped out twice. We see the, uh, the word groan um, in this passage. Verse two, in this tent we groan. Verse four, while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. I take it to varying degrees, all of us can identify with this groaning in our current bodies. And um, some of us perhaps in small ways, and others perhaps in far more painful ways. Just on the day-to-day -day level, our bodies limit us in what they can do. They get tired, they get hungry, and we groan with the frustrations of our limitations. And perhaps those of us who are clumsy groan with the low-key frustration of pain. Sure, we've all accidentally hit our heads when we've had to crawl under a table to pick up something. But there might be some listening tonight or people we know whose bodies are a source of more severe pain and groaning for them. There will be some who are experiencing real pain and frustration as part of aging. There'll be some suffering long-term serious illness or a painful diagnosis. And there'll be some really struggling with mental health. And there will be lots of us who are just feeling the everyday frustrations of our current bodies. They get tired, they get injured, they catch infections. So for all of us, this promise of a glorious, eternal resurrection body is so precious. The suffering we can experience in these bodies now is painful, but it's not forever. The hope we have as Christians is that we will live in a perfect new world, in perfect new bodies that don't get hurt, that don't get ill. So I hope we see from 2 Corinthians 5, what we're looking forward to as Christians isn't some disembodied spiritual experience. We'll actually get new physical bodies. They'll be like our bodies in this life, 
but a huge upgrade, an advanced model, human body 2.0, will have bodies that don't waste away, don't get sick, don't get damaged or destroyed. And that's what gives Paul courage to keep speaking about Jesus, as he thinks about the future unseen body that he'll get. He knows he can keep speaking, even in his case, if it means being killed. And that's what will keep us too going through costly ministry, as we groan for our new bodies under the stresses and strains of this life, we'll long for them more and more. We'll know that whatever happens to us now, we have a permanent glorious resurrection body waiting for us. So that's the first reason for courage in authentic ministry, our glorious eternal resurrection bodies that we groan for. Um, And for time, we'll move on. Um, But before we do, it is worth very briefly touching on verse five. We sadly don't have much time for it, but it's worth being there. Verse five, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He has given us the spirit as a guarantee. This verse reminds us that behind this amazing promise of resurrection bodies is a generous giver. God in his immense kindness has prepared us to receive this gift in the new creation. And even more amazingly, he's shown us that he's committed to it. He's given us a guarantee of his spirit. Sadly, no more time to think on that just now. Um, But let's move on instead to the second reason for courage, the home we long for. We look forward to being at home in relationship with Jesus forever. Verses six to eight. Um, If the first point was about our hope for a new body in the new creation, this second point focuses on another aspect of life and eternity, which is that we will live in relationship with Jesus. And you might be thinking, hang on, isn't this one of the blessings of being a Christian now? We enjoy a relationship with Jesus in the present. Um, To which the answer is, we do have a relationship with Jesus in this life but we don't yet enjoy it fully. Have a look at verse six, halfway through. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, but we walk by faith, not by sight. So this is saying that right now, while we're in this body on earth, we are away from Jesus. We do enjoy a relationship with him now, but we aren't yet with him physically. That's the bit we still hope for and look forward to. In eternity, we'll actually get to meet Jesus face to face. And now we um, get to experience that through reading the Bible and praying. And these are great blessings, but compared to what we await, they are limited. In eternity, we'll get to have direct conversations with him. We'll get to walk with him, eat with him. In the future, we'll get to be with him relate to him tangibly. And notice too the language of home in these verses. Let's glance down again, verse eight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord's. Being with Jesus in eternity is where we will find everything that home is supposed to be. Ultimate relational fulfillment real security, belonging, comforts. 
for those of us who've experienced some of the joys of a happy home life in this world. That is only a pale comparison to what we look forward to when we go to live with Jesus for eternity. But there may be some of us who haven't experienced that in this life, and this longing feels especially unfulfilled. And the truth is that every longing we have for relationship, security, and comfort, whatever degree we've experienced of it in this life, will be fulfilled ultimately when we go to be home with Jesus. We were made for a relationship with him. I think often we say as Christians that our home is in heaven, and that is true. Our true home is in heaven, not this world. And other parts of the Bible describe us as exiles or aliens in this world. But I think this passage would have us tighten this a little bit and say that our true home is with Jesus. Instead of it being a geographical thing, um, it is more of a relational thing. Even in this life, what makes home home isn't primarily where it is or the things that are there. Um, although they're part of it, are things, the rug, the fireplace, the bookshelves, the pictures on the wall, and they all help it to feel like home. But ultimately, home is about people. Likewise, our home in eternity is with Jesus. That is the thing that will most make it feel like home, that we'll live in relationship with him. I wonder too if there's a challenge for us in these verses. Paul says in verse 8 that he would rather be there with Jesus. And I wonder if you can say that with Paul, that you'd rather be at home with the Lord. And it's a strong statement. He'd rather be there. On the one hand, this might be a challenge for us not to be too attached to this world. And we might find it a bit strong to say we'd rather be there than here. We might say we long to be there, but we're not sure we'd stretch to rather. And I think if we are struggling with that, and I think all of us can from time to time, it is helpful to remind ourselves of who it is that we will go home to. Jesus is the most loving person who ever lived. And if you've been studying Hebrews this term, you'll have seen tons of lovely things about Jesus. To take just one example, you might remember we saw in chapter two that although Jesus is God, he humbled himself by becoming a human being. He put himself through suffering and death in order to save us. It's this Jesus that we'll get to live with for eternity. So if we're ever struggling to long for this, then keeping listening to Hebrews might be just what the doctor ordered. So it's our second reason for courage, the home we long for. We long to be home with the Lord Jesus, um, but we're not there yet. And Paul goes on in verse nine to say that until then, we make it our aim to please him. So that leads us to one final reason for courage in authentic ministry, the throne we live for. And Jesus is our judge who we aim to please, verses 9 and 10. Um, before we move on, it's worth clarifying what is going on in verse 10. Um, let's read that again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, and I wonder if, as we read that, um, you were wondering, what is this doing in a passage about courage and confidence? 
Um, doesn't this talk of judgment just make us feel anxious and worried? And that was certainly my thoughts um, when I read through the first few times. I guess we can see here this idea of the second point, being at home with Jesus is comforting, um, but less so meeting him in a, in a courtroom. And so I think it's worth clarifying, first of all, what judgment this is that we're talking about. So I guess in our heads, we jump to final judgments, God deciding our eternal destiny based on whether we trust Jesus or not. Um, but for Christians, there's another kind of judgment Paul has in mind here, and um, not that kind of final judgment, um, eternal destiny. Um, but here for Christians, I think Paul is primarily talking about the judgment of our works, which isn't about our kind of final salvation, um, but is about Jesus graciously recognising and rewarding our works of service to him. And if we think about the context, um, it's a bit easier to see how that is a comfort to Paul and something that gives him courage. Remember, we've been seeing throughout 2 Corinthians that authentic ministry attracts opposition. The world says to Paul and anyone who gets on board with him that his work is worthless and sometimes even harmful. And that's pretty strong fuel for discouragement. But while authentic ministry feels weak and worthless in the world, Paul's comfort is that Jesus is watching and he will one day judge and recognise and reward our work for him. Jesus, unlike the world, doesn't think two years of training to better understand and teach his words is a waste of time and opportunity in life. Jesus doesn't think committing to a church family is a waste of the hours of our weeks. Jesus doesn't think investing in a building from which to proclaim him as Lord is a waste of money. And in the future, we can expect him to tell us that when we stand before his judgment seats. What a comfort that our sticking with him and proclaiming him won't ultimately go unnoticed. So I think that's the primary idea Paul has in mind here for Christians. The idea that one day Jesus' people will stand before him and receive the well done, good and faithful servants for aiming to please him. But I don't think this is the only judgment Paul has in mind here. It's striking, verse 9, we get, uh, verse 9, we make it our aim to please him. But in verse 10, he broadens out the we. Listen again to verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So I take it Paul also has in mind those who will face his eternal judgment in the ends, who aren't yet safe in Jesus. But this too motivates Paul to speak about Jesus so that those who aren't yet trusting in him for forgiveness can hear about him and be eternally safe on the day of judgment. I know many of us will have friends and family who we long to come to Jesus for safety on the day that we'll all stand before him. In our breakout room this morning, um, someone was sharing friends that they long to get right with Jesus. Passages like this encourage us to keep praying and keep speaking to them about Jesus. Um, and if you are listening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this is where all of humanity is headed in the end. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. And the only thing that will matter on that day is what we make of him. The Bible gives us real confidence that this is true 
can I encourage you to read it and think seriously about Jesus for yourself? For those of us who are following Jesus, looking forward to the day Jesus will judge our works for him is a big help if we're tempted to blend in with those around us, or we're tempted to shy away from speaking about him, both individually and as a church. Continuing to speak about Jesus and being aligned with authentic gospel ministry won't win us any brownie points in the world. It will often feel weak and worthless, but let's look forward with Paul to the day we'll stand before Jesus' judgment seats and think of the joy to be given his reward and recognition. Recognition from the voice that matters above all others. Um, we're tired and we're on Zoom. Um, it's worth stepping back as, before we finish for a recap. And um, We've seen um, in Tiko News 5 that the key to courage and keeping going in authentic ministry is to think more about the future unseen realities. We've seen that we're to groan for our resurrection bodies. We're to long to be home for eternity with Jesus. And we're to live for his throne, looking forward to a commendation for faithfully serving him. To give a practical example, um, where would 2 Corinthians 5 have us look for courage when we're asked that question on a controversial ethical topic? The good news is we don't just have to grit our teeth, close our eyes and force out the words or just shy away and deflect the conversation to something else. Instead, 2 Corinthians 5 would have us take heart and have courage, the 2 Corinthians 5 way, looking forward to the day that we will stand before Jesus' throne and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You made it your aim to please me. You weren't ashamed of my words. And if you're anything like me, you might just sometimes feel the weight of living in a world that is opposed to Jesus and his gospel. Just that feeling of being on the outside or being other. When we feel like this, do we lose heart or do we take out some time to imagine that future where we'll get to be at home with the Lord Jesus in shiny new resurrection bodies? The key to courage and authentic ministry is looking to the future. Not what we see now, but what we will see for eternity. Let me pray to close. Father in heaven, we thank you for your immense kindness to us. And we thank you for these enormous promises. Um, Father, we know we don't deserve them. And we're so grateful for them. Father, we pray for every one of us that um, you would help us to reflect more on what you've promised us to long for it and to look forward to it. Father, we pray that in doing that, we would draw courage, that we would take heart, and that we would know that what we do now is, is ultimately worthwhile. Father, we pray that that would galvanise us to get on board with authentic ministry. Father, we pray that we do that, all of that to your glory. Amen.